Take this mask and shove it. I ain't wearing it no more. My woman got COVID and took all the reasons I was wearing it for. They shoved a hose right down her throat and they blew out her fucking lungs. So take this mask and shove it. Oh my God. Rodney Carrington, live in studio, making his comeback. He hasn't done anything since what? 2005, 2006, somewhere in there. Unbelievable. Uh, singing anti-mask, anti-COVID uh, song right here, live on the show. Zach Hergert, Idea Addict. Wow. <laughs> Not a dry eye on the house. I can, I can guarantee you that. Not a dry eye on the house. So that was fun. We're blessed. So blessed. Uh, to have him here with us today. Um, oh, I guess he's leaving. Anyway, that was fun. So obviously got my mask rant out of the way. And uh, everyone now, I was just at Menards. I had to take back some trim. Um, and in order to get into Menards, you have to be part of the cult of the mask. So I had to wear my mask. Of course, I pulled it down immediately after I got inside, past the security. Uh, I'm not buying it, you know. Um, all of the top people at the CDC and the national health, whatever, as soon as the cameras go off, those masks come off. Uh, there's pictures of that, video of it. It's it's not real. Anyway, <clears throat> I'm not going to get too far in the weeds in that. So, uh, obviously, I'm a music fan. I have a beautiful singing voice. Well, that wasn't my voice. That was Rodney Carrington, live in the studio. I have a beautiful singing voice. Um, I've attempted to play several instruments and uh, love music and... <clears throat> I'm always looking for different genres, different stuff. And I like to do, a lot of times I like to do like a little rap intro. You know, rap is uh, rhythm and poetry. So I like to read rap as a, as a poem kind of a, at the beginning to get the creative juices flowing for me and you. So I was kind of watching TV earlier today, um, flipping through the channels of Pluto TV, of course, huge Pluto TV fan. And um, like I've mentioned before, Pluto TV is basically like they just play like a reruns. One channel, every channel is like reruns of some popular show. So there's a lot of MTV shows, a lot of Comedy Central shows. I was watching some Comedy Central shows um, from the early 2000s, and I think we all forget how incredibly popular the rapper Ludacris was. He was like the top rapper. Um, he like kind of put Atlanta on the rap on the map as far as like hip hop goes. Um, he was in like TV shows. He was in movies like Fast and the Furious. He was doing um, comedy. What? Ludacris doing comedy? Yeah, he was doing it. Everyone forgot like how popular that guy was, and uh, it kind of like made me laugh thinking about Ludacris. Because like two years ago, Ludacris, uh, there I, I stumbled across a uh, a news article about him, and what happened was he has at least one illegitimate child, and he got drugged into court for not paying child support, which is like unthinkable because it's like, dude, you're like you have to be a multimillionaire. You you've been famous for like 10, 15 years. And he actually got up in front of the judge and said this. He said, "I was making millions of dollars a year." He's like, two years ago, I made over two and a half million dollars. But he said last year, because Paul Walker died, the actor Paul Walker, because Paul Walker died last year, I only made $40,000. I'm totally broke. I can't pay my child support. What a joke. That is ridiculous. How sad. You know, 
all these like rappers and like celebrities and like athletes, it seems like they're always totally broke. Like one year of bad earnings or like one year out of professional sports and they're totally broke. Like Allen Iverson, you know, Allen Iverson has to play basketball in China because he has such large gambling debts he's trying to to pay back. Um, another person that you probably, I don't know if you saw this this week. This is like really made me laugh. Another person that's fallen from grace is Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp owes $100 million in back taxes. $100 million? How do you like get that much rope? I don't understand how you can get, how they like let you get that high. Wouldn't they like start like garnishing his wages or like seizing his assets or whatever? Maybe he doesn't have any assets. You know, I've heard... A lot of crazy spending stories about Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp is like obsessed with the writer. Um, oh God, I can't think of his name. Oh, Hunter S. Thompson. Johnny Depp is obsessed with Hunter S. Thompson. I read another story about him where for Hunter S. Thompson's birthday, Johnny Depp like did all these like weird things. He he shot cannons off the top of some like, I don't know what it was, like uh, some fort somewhere in the Southwest. I don't know, a bunch of weird stuff. He's obsessed with uh, Hunter S. Thompson and had this birthday celebration for him, which like is really funny because even Hunter S. Thompson is like, you're a hack. You're a loser. Why would you celebrate me? Hunter S. Thompson killed himself. So Johnny Depp is more into Hunter S. Thompson than Hunter S. Thompson even is. And Hunter S. Thompson, in my opinion, is a little bit of a hack. Johnny Depp's a huge hack. But this week, there was like this picture came out. I don't know if it was on social media or like in the news or what. I don't remember where I saw it, but it's Johnny Depp and he's like just passed out in a big pile of ice cream. He was just eating ice cream and he just like passed out. So I don't know if he's a heroin addict or or what, but I can remember a time uh, in the early 2000s where Johnny Depp was really popular. He was like the top of the A-list, tippy top. People loved him. They thought he was so talented. They were like, oh my God, Pirates of the Caribbean. I've never seen such an amazing performance. Uh, now we know he's hat. That's hack central. But, um, during that time, this is going to make me sound a little faggy, but that's fine. During that time, I subscribed to these things called magazines. And for those, those of you under the age of whatever out there, there used to be these things called magazines. And what they were is they were just printed out pages from the internet and you would get them mailed to your house every month. And I subscribed to, um, GQ and Esquire because I wanted to keep up on the look. I wanted to be in the scene and know what was going down in the scene. So I had a subscription to both those magazines. I know, a little faggy. That's fine. And uh, one I can remember pretty vividly, like, I think it was GQ. GQ is a more of like the mainstream popular one. I think it's actually still around. But they did a interview of Johnny Depp, and he was just, at the time, he was in Pirates of the Caribbean. He was living in France, um, this highfalutin lifestyle. He was um, saying Americans were stupid, that America sucked, um, that we were all idiots for electing George Bush. He was shitting all over the troops and shitting on the president. And it just make, makes me feel good to see this guy like falling from grace. All these celebrities that fall from grace. It's, I, I love to see it because it's like these, we give these people such a huge microphone and so much attention and we listen to what they say. They're fucking, Johnny Depp is a degenerate and he's an idiot. He made hundreds of millions of dollars and he's a hundred million dollars in debt. So that right there just goes to show you that he's obviously an idiot. I bet he didn't have a dad. I'm not going to get into that, but 
So that just made me laugh. It's like, God, pathetic. Passed out in a pile of ice cream. Who does that? Even me in my worst day, I wasn't passed out in a pile of ice cream. <clears throat> anyway, so those are some things that made me laugh. Some things that didn't make me laugh um, is that we're getting my wife like a new SUV. Oh my God, car shopping is the worst. I hate car shopping because like no matter what you do, there's like no way out of it. There's no, there's no way to come out like ahead. You're, you're always just throwing money out the window, it feels like. And no matter what kind of car you get, the novelty of it like wears off so quickly, in my opinion. So we were like looking at cars today and it's like, oh my God, it's like overwhelming because it's like, okay, like if we do this for this many months, like this interest rate, but then if like we get a newer car that's more expensive, we're not paying any interest rate. And this one has a remote start and it, your phone can connect to it, but this one like doesn't have a remote start, but your phone can connect to it. I don't know. It's like, it just makes your head spin and it's not like, it's not super fun because you always feel like you're like missing out. So a couple years ago when I bought my truck, I was like seriously entertaining, like buying something with like a salvage title because it was like, I just felt like it's all relative. And you know, the one, the car, the, the trucks I were looking at, like they had been stolen. So, and like recovered within two days. So it's like, yeah, I guess maybe that the, whoever stole it, like maybe drove it rough for two days or maybe like took it off a jump or something, but it's like $7,000 cheaper than, I don't know. It just always feels like you're on the, like the, the losing end of it, car shopping. So it just wears me out. And I feel like every time I buy a new truck, I have like tons of regrets about it. You know, I really like the truck I have now, but it's like, but but now, since we're getting my wife like an SUV, it's like I should have just got a work truck, like an extended cab work truck for very cheap, like something really cheap with like plastic interior. And then we could have got my wife something nicer. We don't both need to have nice vehicles. My stuff gets torn up anyway because people are throwing stuff in the back of my truck. Like it's on work sites where people like ding into it, you know. So I don't know. It just... It just wears me out shopping for cars. So, so anyway, it's like I felt like I like need an escape, and I got home from work today. Well, I was thinking about this at work because I had to like burn the midnight oil a little bit because I got to get ready for the painters. So I'm like doing all this last minute shit so they don't chew me out and don't charge me more. But I was thinking of this because it was like I just like want something kind of fun to do, and now. Now, because of COVID-19, fun is outlawed. So it's like, what can I like do that's kind of fun that I don't have to like go anywhere or spend any money? And I was like, I still have like a bunch of like, like gaming equipment, you know, like I, I think I have like a Nintendo 64 and like a regular Nintendo. And I think I have an Xbox still. But I was just thinking like um, some of the games that I really like to play and I wasn't like a big gamer. So I don't want to like don't message me or email me or whatever and like try to talk about video games with me because I don't really care that much. But I was just thinking back to some of the like fun games <clears throat> that I like played in my youth when I was a teen. And it was like the only game I was like really obsessed with was Tony Hawk. And I thought that was a really fun game. You know, it's like, it was like really chill, really fun, really mindless, kind of like Mario. Mario is just like fun and mindless, but it's like, as like the games have progressed, they're getting more ridiculous. And it's like, I remember the first time I played, like, I think like Call of Duty, I think it was Modern Warfare. It was like the first level you like shoot up an airport. 
that's like a little intense. You know, it's like I'm walking through like an airport with a shotgun, like mowing down people. So it's like you go from that, like my childhood till like the games now. And it's like you get fucking PTSD playing a video game. But, well, I don't know. I guess like there was like Doom when I was a kid. There was another, another like game on the computer. Um, I don't think it was on like any console, just like on your PC. I think it was called Quake. I remember that game was like pretty fucked. I remember specifically there was a level in that game where to like get a door to open, you had to like push a like a body of like one of your like fallen comrades into like a wood chipper or some kind of machine that like ground their body up and that like opened the door. That's like pretty egregiously dark, right? I mean, that's pretty fucked. But <clears throat> so anyway, I was just thinking about video games and I heard a stat that the like average gamer's age is 37 years old. That's like pretty sad. So anyway, so I touch on that. But I might be like speaking of pretty sad. I might like get the old the games out. I might play some Mario. You know, I like playing Mario Brothers 3. You know, uh, I'll drop a flute on that ass and just I'll just flute out of there. I don't give a fuck. So, mm fun stuff. So what other rants do I got? What other updates? Well, I got a couple updates. You know, one thing that I've been thinking about that's not necessarily bothering me, but that I've just, I've been kind of going back and forth with, and it's really ever since I started this podcast. And I listened to like the first couple of pod, my first couple of podcasts like earlier today, because I, w- I was like, am I like getting any better? Am I getting any worse? And it's like, I just think it depends on the day. Some of them are good and some of them are total garbage. Some of them I say like so much that it makes me want to just puke my brains out. Um, so I hope I'm not doing that. I feel like when I don't have any notes, that's when I say like a ton. So I've been trying to... Anyway, it doesn't matter. But, <clears throat> so I'll get to the point. Um, so I'm kind of like in a, a mental struggle between do I want to like really go hard with the like online stuff I got going on? Um, or do I want to go hard with like the remodeling? And I feel like the remodeling is like sort of in my blood. Like I'm never not going to want to do it. So I feel like my natural like talents and abilities lend themselves more to like the remodeling. But I feel like I may be going about it all wrong. And I'll just share with you some things that happened to me this last week that made me kind of like step back and say like, what the, what am I doing? Like I'm doing this poorly and hopefully you can glean some like lessons from it. If you will, (laughs) With all due respect. So earlier this week, two things happened. One thing was somebody messaged me, um, text messaged me, and they said, could you come look at this job for me? Uh, me and my wife want to put a bathroom uh, a bathroom in the basement of our house. It's already roughed in. Our, ba- our basement's partially finished. Could you t- come take a look at it? And I was like, yeah, sure. I was trying to get some information from this person over text and I, and I was like, well, where do you live? You know, kind of give me some ideas of like what you want to do. And he was like being really guarded about his 
address, which it's like, dude, I'm going to need your address if I'm going to remodel your basement or put a bathroom in. So finally, we go through the dog and pony show of whatever on text. I get the guy's address. I go set set up a time to go look at it. I, I go look at it and um, I got the address and it was like, okay, this is like a boring neighborhood. This is a track neighborhood. This is going to be like a boring job. Pull up to the house and I was correct. It's a track house. It's cheap. It's just a, it's just like a cheap starter house. So I'm like, this is going to be like real boring. This is not something that it like excites me. Um, so I'm already like, eh, whatever, like we'll, we'll see. This could be easy. This could be easy money. So I go to the door and the guy answers the door and he's wearing basically pajamas. So strike one. The other thing is he answers the door and there's two gigantic dogs and a cat like on top of me, like right when I get in the door. He's trying to hold them back, but he can't hold the dogs back. They're, they're all over me. So I'm trying to be polite, and I take my shoes off, which I don't like to take my shoes off. I'd rather just have my shoes off. <laughs> they're clean. I'd rather have them on. But I, I was, like, trying to be professional, so I took them off and started walking away. The, one of the dogs grabbed one of my shoes and, like, tried to run off with it. So we had to get the shoe away from the dog, which was... It wouldn't have been such a big deal if the dog hadn't already been in my face and like trying to like get the stuff out of my hands. And there's, I'm like bombarded with dogs. It's like, you know, I'm, dude, you know, I'm coming over. Put your dogs outside. You have a fenced in yard. I know you have a fenced in yard because I came to the front of your house. Put your damn dogs out. So I'm already like a little irritated with that because that's like kind of rude, you know, like one dog and then like, if he would have put it out, that would have been fine. Didn't put the dogs out. All of me. Sniffing my crotch, sniffing my ass, trying to get the papers out of my hands. So we go in the basement. Um, the wife is there working. So I'm already like, okay, these people are going to be here while I'm, if I do this job. They're going to like be here and the animals are going to be here. So I'm already contending with people and animals. So we go down to the space they already have all the stuff bought, all the all the like stuff they want down there bought. So that's a problem because I'm like, okay, these people are cheap. They don't want to pay for me to go get the stuff, and they don't want any design help, which I should have. Design is in the name of our business, so that's part of it. We help you like design things. So I know if you're picking out garbage, builder sub builder grade garbage from Menards, Home Depot, Lowe's, I already know you don't want to spend any money. And he wants to put a surround in, so I'm not going to make any money off tile. Um, I'm not, I'm already, I'm standing there and I'm like, I don't like really want my name on this because this is going to be like low grade crap. Um, they're asking me about the layout. I'm like, it, we're standing in a square. This room is already like roughed in. There is no layout decisions. It, it is what it is unless you want me to like break up the concrete and like flip the stuff around which I know you don't want me to do because you don't want to like, you're already telling me you don't really want to do anything. And then the other thing is they keep, the guy keeps telling me, well, I could do it myself. Well, I could do it myself. I could do it myself. I don't like that. That's a major red flag because they're going to be like, that tells me they're going to be in my face saying, well, I would have done it like this. You need to do it like this. It's like, dude, I do this all day, every day. You're not a contractor. If you were a contractor, you would be doing it. So stop telling me you can do it. That makes me not want to do it for you. Every time anyone says that to, to me in this business, they're a nightmare. So 
several strikes, you know, we've, we're already going more than several strikes. We're like going through batters. So I'm like, okay. So I start, I start like measuring things out that I don't even, I already want to leave. I start like measuring things out, which I can't really do because the, where they want the bathroom is like full of stuff. They're using it as storage. So I'm moving their stuff around. I'm moving their crap out of the way to measure. And the cat's down there and the cat is grabbing the end of my tape measure. Um, so I can't really get a measurement. The guy's like, oh yeah, that's our cat, blah, blah, blah. So I'm getting really irritated and I'm getting even irritated thinking about it. So we go through that. I get everything measured up and I'm kind of like, you know, wrapping it up. I go kind of out in their like finish area of the basement where the husband and wife are there. Um, and the guy, the, the dog's still in my face, mind you. The dog has never not been in my face since I've been here. And so the guy like kind of like kneels down to like pet the dog and the dog tackles him all the way to the ground which at first I was like, oh, that's like embarrassing. But then the guy like stays on the ground and he's like roughhousing with the dog, giggling and roughhousing with the dog. And I'm like, uh, I'll, I, I just was like, I just said, I'll just let myself out. And I just like walked up the stairs. And then the guy eventually like got up from the ground from roughhousing with his dog. Um, and was like, when can you start? Like blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I, I'll get back to you. And I just took off. And I was like driving away and I was like really disappointed. And, and I was really like, I don't know, like I was just like really turned off. It's like, do I want to like even do this? But, and I'm not like shitting on these people. It's not their fault. It, it's actually my fault because I didn't like pre-screen the lead coming in, you know, I, I should have said, like, what kind of budget do you want to spend right off the bat? I should have got more information. And then I should have, I should have said, like, listen, like, I'm not the cheapest person. I'm not going to be the cheapest person. If you want to, like, find your own finishes, I don't think that's, like, a good fit for me. That's not really how, like, I work. So <clears throat> I'm not trying to, like, shit on these people. It's my own fault for going on that appointment. I should have never been on that appointment. They're looking for, like, a handyman. Like, that is not what I do. And it's, like, shame on me for even, like, doing that. Because it's, like, I started off, really, me and my wife started off, like, five years ago doing, like, whole house remodels and, like, adding square footage, like, finishing off things that weren't finished, like you know, finishing off dormers, like putting bathrooms in dormers, like, like harder things that are like most like remodeling contractors, like don't even do not every remodeling remodeling person or, or a contractor can do like a whole house remodel like we do. So it's like going to someone's house and looking at a job, they would maybe only pay me a thousand dollars. That is like, that's like below my skill level it's a waste of my time. And really it's like a waste of, well, it's a waste of my time. Like I shouldn't even be there. Those people, I'm going to send this guy a bid and he's not going to want to do it. It's going to be too expensive for him. Guaranteed. And I should have like pre-qualified that because I wasted like everyone's time. I wasted my own time and I should have like known better. And that's really what like irritated me. And then I was thinking, it's like, you know, I'm doing this other job for this girl and it's like the same thing. Like she started off, Everything was like, 
I shouldn't say everything was fine. Like she started off and, and then at the last minute, she's like, well, I'm going to like get my own tile person. So right then and there, I should have said, I'm not doing it. You need to find someone else. Because the problem with that is the tile person I found is like a friend of a friend or something. And what's going to happen is like, I'm not, I don't know that person. So if the tile, if the shower leaks or there's a problem and she like contacts me, I'm going to say, I can't, I can't warrant my work because you brought in some outside tile person. So that's going to like make me look bad. And I don't want my name on that. Just like I don't want my name on some like cheapo project at some shitty track house uh, with like finishes someone else picked out, you know, and that I just installed for him. That's like not like what I want to do with this business. So I was like been like disappointed in myself because it's like your your biggest regrets are the things that you don't do. So when I had my property preservation business, literally my biggest regret owning that business and like all of that time I put in that business is I, I never, I like never went for broke. I always thought about it. I always thought about expanding it, hiring more guys, hiring more crews, hiring more like subs, um, leveraging the relationships that I had with these banks and my clients to like open up my geographical area because if I was smart, what I would have done is I would have had crews running everything in Omaha because the, biz the that business was very simple. Um, here's a pile of garbage. Move the pile of garbage into a dumpster. Very simple. So I could have had Omaha, I could have had crews in Omaha working and then I could have expanded my geographical footprint into like Kansas and Missouri and Iowa where there's more houses. I could have had literally a multi-million dollar business, but I was always like too scared and, and I didn't do other smart things. Like I, I had like a mowing component of it where I had like a full-time mowing business. I could have hired more employees. I could have like done a roll-up, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But a roll-up is where you just buy out your competition just to get their customers. And in lawn and landscape, that's very typical. That's an easy way to expand your business. I had like more business than I knew what to do with. And, but I was always like too scared to like hire more people to like go for broke. And that's what I should have done. And I don't want that regret when it comes to my, my remodeling business. But when you're going on these like little jobs that are like a waste of your time, when you're not like staying on your, your path to expanding and doing more and doing better and, and all those things, when you get off that path, that's when you like get burned out and that's where like nothing happens. So another guy, like a mentor of mine always says like, think about like a hurricane. Like when you're in the middle, when you're in the eye of a hurricane, everything's safe there. Like nothing is going on. There's no activity. It's when you get out to the wall, the wall of the hurricane right next to the eye of the hurricane. That's where most of the destruction is happening. That's where the highest winds are. That's where all the violence happens. And in your life, you want to be on the wall. You want to be out in the storm. You want to be on that leading edge where like things are happening. So I, after that, I was like, I just like have to like really refocus and like really think about like what I want to be doing and think about things that are like smart and, and push myself and push like what I feel comfortable with. You know, I shouldn't be doing, I shouldn't be going on these little things that are, are, like literally like too small for me. And I watched some other guys on YouTube that like 
that do like high end remodeling and they were like, well, over time, like I built up from like remodeling bathrooms to like doing whole house remodeling and like building custom houses and everything like that. And that's when like the light switch like went on. Cause it's like, I, I, I started off doing whole house remodels, you know, going back to looking at someone's like basement bathroom, that's not a good fit for me. So I just wanted to like relay that story to you guys. Hopefully you gain some insight of that from like your own life where it's like, you know, don't just stay idle. Don't do small things. Don't regress to like where it's safe. Get out and like really push yourself. And that's where like everything happens. You know, you're going to be, I don't know of anyone who, who was like, well, I pushed myself as hard as I could and I built up my business into be like this gigantic monster business. And then I got too big and like went out of business and now I'm living on the street. That like never happens, you know, that going too big and like going for broke, even if you go broke, you're still better off than if you would have like played it safe. And the example of that, that I always like share with people is like, look at Dave Ramsey, you know, Dave Ramsey is always like, play it safe, like be super conservative. Don't spend any money on anything. Don't like take any chances. You know, he's very conservative, doesn't want you to do anything, wants you to live totally within your means. Uh, Dave Ramsey does not do that. He did not, <laughs> he tells you one thing and he does the exact opposite. For those of you who don't know, Dave Ramsey, before he was like Dave Ramsey that you know him now, was a high-flying real estate developer in the South. He developed, uh, I believe, commercial properties and um, apartment properties in Tennessee, Georgia, and Florida. And by the time he was in his late 20s, he had like five houses. He had a private jet. He was totally loaded. It was the late 80s. Interest rates like corrected and he like lost everything. And then he started like helping people like get out of debt after he went through getting himself out of debt. And then ever since then, he's just like been, that's been his brand, but he's doing the same stuff that he was doing in the eighties with his real estate business. It's just a different path, but it's the same trajectory and the same outcome. So he went from like nothing to being like a multi multi-millionaire with real estate, lost everything, came back with something else. And he's even bigger than he ever was. So that's a guy that's always pushing himself. But I would argue in a way like I don't I'm not trying to shit on Dave Ramsey because I think for like a lot of people, a lot of people aren't they're not capable of doing those things. But you don't know if you're capable unless you try. So that's my little piece of advice on that. Moving on, yo, with all due respect, um, I don't, I have like kind of, I have two business ideas that I've been like kicking around in my head. One of them came to me in a, like a dream and it's a product, which I never like really talk about products. And I, I haven't talked to anyone about this, so I don't want to like share it because I feel like when I woke up in my dream, I was like, this is, this is it. <laughs> this is my meal ticket out of here. This is it. You know, this is going to be everything. This is going to be like, this is going to be like coffee cups. It's going to be bumper stickers. People are going to have t-shirts of this idea. And then when I woke up, I was like, this is dumb. This is a stupid idea and it might already exist. So let me float that like by my wife and see if she's like, that's fucking stupid. The other one I have, um, I'm not like totally sure 
on it. It might actually be some sort of theft. So let me dig into that one a little bit because I don't want to be like, hey, do this, and then you end up getting sued by someone because it might not be. Uh, it's definitely operating in the gray. I don't know if it's totally legal, but mm, I'll check into it. So I, I thought for this episode we could kind of um, talk a little bit about buying a business. And I think that, well, this is something I'm like really passionate about, and I definitely am going to buy a business some probably t- sometime probably in the next 10 years. Um, I'm not like pursuing it really heavily right now because um, number one, like I don't, I'm not really too sure like where I want to buy geographically where I want to buy a business. And then I'm kind of torn between do like, I want to, I want to like kind of go with this uh, remodeling business and like home building business. And then if that's successful, I'll buy a business that can kind of like fold into that and help me with that. So I want to kind of pursue that, see where it goes. Um, and, and if it goes well, which I think it probably will, because like I said, I think it, that, that kind of stuff building is like quite, kind of in my blood. I don't think I can like really get it out. I don't think I, I can ever be like, you know what? I'll never remodel another house. I'm going to go like buy an IT business. That's probably not going to happen for me. So what I would like to do is buy something that folds into like a remodeling business. So like if I could find something like a, a drywall supply company or like a framing business that was big enough that maybe did um, – residential and commercial or something like that, where it would like kind of make sense or like maybe a cabinetry business, something like that, that would make sense to like combine with the brand I already have. So that's not, that's why I'm like not really like hot and heavy into buying one now. But like, as I always say, I think that, um, buying a business is literally the greatest like wealth creator that a normal person can do. A lot of times people will say like, well, isn't real estate like buying and like renting out real estate and owning real estate. It's like, yeah, buying and like renting out real estate is sort of like the, the, um, it's sort of like the stock market in that you have to like put money into it. That's like a a place where you like put money and then your money like grows over time. You're not necessarily, um, on your own with your own money. You're not going to be able to like start accumulating real estate and like making tons and tons of money unless you already have money. Obviously you can like leverage real estate, but not like a business. So like the right business, you put down 10%. So let's say if it's a million bucks, you put down a hundred thousand. And if it's a million bucks, let's say it makes $500,000. And then, so like starting off the bat, you're going to be making a couple hundred thousand dollars. So in my opinion, buying a business, a business is a wealth creation vehicle. Real estate and the stock market are are, are a, a wealth protection and growth vehicle. So that's kind of how I differentiate like in my own mind. If, if you have the right business, it can make you like a multimillionaire. And I'm not talking about like if you own Amazon. I'm talking about like if you own like something like normal. And and there's something so like <clears throat> so like in Omaha, there there's like a lots of different companies. This is just my example. There's lots of different companies in Omaha that do like laying concrete and all of that. But there's only one I believe there's only one business that I know of that specializes in like blacktop. And they blacktop, like, every, like, blacktop parking lot here, they redo, they pour the blacktop. If you owned that business, it's not a sexy business. It's not a complicated business. It's just, like, a normal, everyday, like, 
Main Street business, if you own that business, you'd be a multimillionaire. I'm sure that company makes tons and tons of money because they don't even have any competition. They're the only asphalt business, I think, in town. So they do asphalt refinishing. They like pour asphalt. They um, uh, fill potholes like all over Omaha all the time, and they have no competition. Like they go out on a bid, and there's no one. There's no one bidding against them. So that's the kind of business that I'm talking about. Something like cut and dry, super simple. Another example here, like in Omaha, that's like something that like a, a normal person could have like started and a normal family does own it is Rotella Bread. That's just a bread baking business. But those the people that own that are probably multimillionaires. There's some of them that live in my neighborhood and they their house is the bomb. So... When I'm talking about buying a business, that's what I'm talking about. And buying a business is the best way, I believe, to like get ahead. Because think about like if you live in a corporate prison, work in a corporate prison, as you go up higher, the pyramid gets narrower, right? So only one person can be CEO at any given time. And the higher you go, the fewer people are at those positions, right? And the harder it gets and the older you get. It could take you 30 years to get up to the C-level floor. And what happens a lot of times when people get up to the C-level floor? They might make it a few years. They might make it five or 10 years. But eventually what happens? If they don't get moved up to CEO or a C-level position, um, they get canned. So buying a business is literally cutting to the front of the line. And you can use investors' money and the government's money and banks' money to help you cut in line up to like the position of the CEO. So that's my pitch of why you should buy a business. And I do this almost every week. That's fine. Now, I would like to tell you kind of, I would like to walk you guys through, um, and this is maybe just kind of stupid on audio, but I'm also like making like a YouTube video if you want to like see me do it. But I'll try to narrate it the best I can. God actually blessed me with the narration skills that are up there with maybe like Rush. <laughs> so <clears throat> obviously I'm obsessed at like cruising businesses and checking them all out. And I've read several books on like buying a business. And I think the best book is actually by uh, the Harvard Business School. If you go online and just type in like Harvard Business School, like um, guide to buying a business, a guide to, a guide to buying a small business, the book is like, it's like more of like a pamphlet. The book is probably like 150 pages. I re you can read it in like an hour and a half or two hours. You can also get it on audio, um, on Audible. That's where I listen to it. And it's really good. It's got a lot of information, but it kind of gives you like some criteria. So I'll kind of like talk a little bit about that criteria um, as we roll through this. <clears throat> Sorry, it's all the mold down here. <laughs> um, so usually where I check out business, businesses for sale is a website called bizbysell.com. So you can just Google bizbysell.com. And what I do is I, I, I search, I go to like a, their search bar on the main page. And then um, I go and it's in the middle, it says businesses for sale, franchise opportunities, and then business brokers. So we want to be on businesses for sale. We're not looking at franchises. That's a completely different ballgame. And then what I do is I go to advanced search criteria. Now, when I'm looking for a business just to kind of educate myself, get familiar with things, I, I never 
I, I do any state or region, but I want to make sure it's in the United States. So um, I believe all of these are in the United States. Um, so I'll do any state and region. And then for, for price, the minimum business that I want to look at that I would ever entertain buying is a million dollars. So that's my minimum. That's my minimum price. My maximum price is three million dollars, and that's kind of a rule of thumb. So most venture capital businesses um, uh, and things like that. Venture capitalists. What's the other one? Yeah, but most venture capitalist businesses are, aren't going to buy a small business that is under $3 million. Now, if you find a small business that's like $5 million or above $5 million, that's going to atten- uh, get the attention of like venture capitalist groups, uh, things like that. They're, they would be potentially open to like scooping those businesses up for their portfolio uh, and private equity funds too. That's what I'm thinking of. Um, so we, we don't want to be in a position where we're competing possibly against a venture capitalist uh, firm or private equity firm or anything like that. And the other thing too, is once you have a small business that's big enough to be able to try to get offers from that, your prices are going to be like a little bit inflated as well. And then the other thing is what we, what we would like to do when we're buying a business is we want to think about the end in mind. So if we buy a great business, maybe we can build that business up and in the future sell that business to a venture capitalist or private equity firm. And that's going to be one way that we can cash out at the end uh, is by selling it off. So we want to make sure that we're not buying a, a completely finished product, but we're buying something on the way to being a finished product. So my price, I look between a 1 million and 3 million. Um, I would actually even go, I know, um, I would actually even start off at like 750. So my minimum could be 750. Um, that's fine too. Um, I know I said a million. That's kind of, those are just like a rule of thumb. But really what we want to look at is like cash flow. And we want to do minimum cash flow of $500,000 without any exception. And I say that because, um, and then for for max cash flow, I'll just put any. It's going to return some like weird stuff where it's like you can buy this for a million and it makes twenty four million, but obviously you know that's not real. So we want to do a minimum cash flow of at least five hundred thousand dollars, and the reason we're going to do that is that much um, cash flow is going to allow you to pay yourself a livable wage. It's going to allow you to. Um, pay your loan and it's going to allow give you some like buffer because when you buy a business for the most part there's going to be like a little bit of drop off cuz you're going to like probably lose some people so you want to put a like a little bit of buffer in there want to make sure that we have like more than enough reserve money coming in every month that we're not sucking the business dry so the business can't survive so Right now, it's returning 974 businesses for sale. So you're going to get like tons of tons of things. Now, right now, you're getting you're going to get like a lots of like FedEx routes because those are hurting right now. So you're going to get lots and lots of things return. Um, some of them are going to be good. Some of them are going to be bad. I'm just scrolling through trying to find something um, where 
that I might be interested in possibly at some point, and then that has like enough information that we can kind of delve in. So I'm going to click on one here. It's a custom door wholesale company that's been in business for 45 years. And let's just dig into this. This doesn't have a lot of information, but it's in Modesto, California. So the first thing I look at is like, where is it at in the country? And how does that like affect me as somebody who would eventually want to take this business over? Now, this business is in Modesto, California. Um, California is currently locked down because of the coronavirus. And it's been getting locked down on and off for about six months now, or three months at least. So that's strike one. This business isn't making any money right now, probably. The other thing is California um, is very burdensome to like do business in. And this is a manufacturer, this is a wholesaling company. So that's not great either. Their thing is California has pretty high taxes and they have lots of regulations on their businesses. So that's bad. The other thing is, would you want to live in Modesto, California? I don't want to live in Modesto, California. So that's probably not a great fit for me. Although... Could this business be moved? Because it is a custom door wholesaling company. So where are our clients at? There's something else we can like look at. If all of our clients are in California, we have to stay there. They're offering seller financing. And like I always say, any business that you're looking at has to offer seller financing. You're not going to buy a business without seller financing. And the reason that you're not going to do that is if the sellers hold a note on it, that's your insurance policy to make sure that they weren't lying to you, to make sure the books weren't cooked. Because if you get in there and find out, hey, like everything you told me is bullshit, then the way the contract is written, like let's say the uh, sellers are holding 10%, they're holding a note for 10%, you can say, I'm not paying you that 10% because you lied to me. So that's your security policy. So you always want the owner's the previous owners to hold back part, to hold part of the note. So the other thing that we want to look at in a business is what's like the position of this business. And this particular business, they write up on it. The teaser is not very good. So I can't really like dig deep into like this one, but I'll just read you the teaser and we can kind of like go from there. So the asking price for this is $1.65 million dollars. Cash flows $519,388 with a gross revenue of $5,313,886. The EBITDA, FF and E inventory and the data established are like blank. So we can't get into any of those things. Business description, great custom door wholesaler with high revenue. This turnkey door window molding and hardware business has created innovation or innovative custom door and fixture solutions to customers in San, uh, Stanislaus County for 45 years. Okay, so they're just selling to people locally, it sounds like. So that's like not great for this. The business employs a talented team with decades of experience who work to provide the highest caliber design for any um, size project. Known for providing the highest quality products and service, this business has garnished a loyal following of customers and has built an excellent reputation in the industry throughout the years. The business has experienced steady and consistent growth year over year with revenues growing roughly 7% per year up to $5.3 million in 2019. These climbing re revenues have afforded the business significant cash flow 
providing over $519,000 in seller's discretionary earnings for 2019. So there's a, a mixture in there. So they're selling locally. They don't have it, they don't have national, you know, obviously they're not big enough. They're not they're not like um, shipping these doors all over the country. So that's not great because uh, uh, I don't like California. I wouldn't want to live in California. And you don't want, unless it's a, a home run, you don't want to own a business in California because it's way too much bullshit. So that's bad. The other bad thing is they're wholesaling doors. They're not, this isn't like, they don't, they don't have a corner on like any market because they're probably competing with anybody else that can wholesale doors. So I don't like that. So we're getting commoditized here. The one thing I do like is it says the business has experienced steady and consistent growth. That's good. We want steady, slow and steady growth. We don't want explosive growth because if it's growing 10 or 15 or 20% each year, that's going to boot the evaluation up too high and we're not going to get a good enough deal. Um, so let's move on. I don't like this one. I don't like it because of where it's located. And I don't like it because that's, it doesn't give me, you don't have any, um, it's not like a niche thing. You don't have any competitive advantage over your people you're going up against. So let's click onto something else. You need a competitive advantage. You need a hook. They have to be able to hook you as the buyer into saying, I have to own this business. This business business makes sense, and I can see why you make so much money. Because you need, that means that the business has something that hooks customers and clients. So we're looking for a hook. The better the hook, the better the business. We're talking hook sandwich, son. We want to be able to dangle out some bait for our customers, and once they bought into it, they're hooked. So, um... For example, like um, our remodeling business, we have lots of hooks because we can say, look at these pictures of work we've done. That's a hook sandwich. There's the, you know, for the, the kind of houses we do and the places we do them, no one else is doing it. So that's our hook because we can do things other people can't do. You need a hook. You need a niche within a niche, within a dream. So let's see what else we got. A lot of stuff in California. Oh, the other thing I wanted to mention is when you're looking at these these big sites like bizbysell.com, you're literally seeing the shittiest businesses for sale. So let me explain. So a business broker will get a listing. And usually a business broker will specialize in a certain kind of business in a certain industry. So let's say I'm a business broker and I specialize in commercial construction businesses and related businesses to that. So you come to me and you're like, I have a commercial framing business I want to sell. And I look at it and I'm like, eh. I was like, I'll, I'll say, yeah, I'll take the listing. So what do I do? I go through my list of potential buyers and I call them all and I say, hey, I have this like commercial framing business. Would you be interested? Here are the stats. And if all of those people pass, I'll call other brokers who I know have buyers in that industry and I'll say, hey, Bob, I got this great commercial framing business. Here's all the details. Do you have any buyers you think would be interested? And if they say no, I'll say, okay, great. I'll put it online and see if I can find some sucker. So a lot of these businesses online is the game of the greater fool. The game of the greater fool is I have this business. 
I'm foolish for keeping it, so I'll put it online and see if I can find someone even dumber than me who will buy it. That's the game of the greater fool. Now, that being said, 90% of these business on, businesses that are for sale that make it to the websites are bad. Every once in a while, there's a good business, and those ones sell quickly. I've seen this happen a couple times. There's a, there's a local firm here, and they had a business, and I was like, that's like a pretty good deal. So I like talked to my wife about it, and we were like going to call them. They know me because I inquire on shit all the time. And I'm like, that's like a good deal. And it was in San Francisco, which I fucking hate. It was an HVAC business. Um, so that is a problem because I don't have a license for that. But I was like, this is like a smoking deal. So I was like, let's call them. Like, maybe we can like do some partnership with somebody. So I waited a couple of days and it was gone. Okay, so it was obviously a good business. Now, the other business that was pretty good, in my opinion, was the HVAC business I talked about a couple of weeks ago that was in Daphne, Alabama, where the guy was selling it for like $1.5 million and, and made him like 980 And he was willing to stay on as an as a employee for three years. That's a good deal. I bet that company's gone. I should have go back and look it up. So they're not all dogs, but a lot of them are dogs. <coughs> Sorry. So <clears throat> I'm going to try to wrap it here. I've been going for a while. So a lot of them are dogs, but... I'll use another example. A lot of times, this is a good place to kind of do research, kind of like start figuring things out, getting, figuring out like what the numbers mean, start thinking. And then you're, you can narrow it down. So for me, it's like, I kind of have like it narrowed down, like what kind of business I'd be like willing to buy. And so if I, if I'm like, okay, like I want to like buy a cabinet business, what I would do is I would go and like find all the cabinet businesses that are listed on here, and then I would contact those brokers and try to get um, to talk to those brokers and establish a little bit of like some rapport with them, because those brokers are going to hold back their good listings to people that are on their actual buyers list that are, can actually buy a business. So if you're actually re ready to start buying a business, you need to go out and like contact brokers and say, "Hey, I'm a ready, willing, and able buyer." And then that's when you're going to start getting presented good deals. So this is online is a great place to start familiarizing yourself um, with the idea of buying a business, thinking it through, putting yourself mentally saying like, okay, could I run this business? What would it be like when I took this business over? What would my life be like? Is that something I want to do? And then looking through the numbers, researching the numbers, seeing how the numbers work. Once you get that down, you get, start getting serious. Then you can say, hey, I want a, let's say, uh, a sign manufacturing company. Then you can go and look for sign manufacturing companies, contact those brokers, have conversations with them. Then they will present you their good deals. So it's kind of like a little overview about how I look for businesses for sale. Some of the things I look for, obviously, you have to have a competitive advantage. You have to be operating in a niche. You need a hook, something that's going to hook you as a buyer and something that's going to hook you clients. So I like to look for like unique businesses. So being in the construction business, I don't necessarily have like a ton of ideas, a ton of businesses I can buy that are super unique, but that doesn't mean they're not out there. You know, I could find something, uh, a manufacturing company that manufactures uh, cabinets or manufactures 
a certain kind of HVAC equipment or something that would be like niche where I would have a competitive advantage, maybe a sec maybe some like security equipment, something like that, that's, that not a lot of other people have that I could use in my own business, that I could sell through my own business that would be a good fit for me. So those are some things you need to look at. Um, I will put in my description a link to that book from the Harvard Business Review um, I really liked that book. It had a lot of good things to think about. It had a lot of good things about like raising money to buy a business and like how to think about that, how to structure a deal. And then it kind of follows three or four different people that bought businesses, how it worked out for them, um, what their criteria was, and kind of like packages it up in a good, um, thorough book. The book itself is very inexpensive. So I will put that in the... Uh, description. Um, I will try to refine some ideas. Like I said, I have some floating in my brain, but there could be real stupid. I don't want to be like, hey, check this idea out, and then it just shits the bed. Which my ideas have over the years, sometimes they do shit the bed. But um, I would, if you want to be like rich and independently wealthy and like not have to worry about things when you're 55 or 60 years old, I would definitely look at buying a business. So I'm super passionate about buying businesses. The other thing too, is it like breaks my heart to know all these people busted their asses building these businesses. And like most of them won't even sell. And a lot of times like kids don't want to take over the family business anymore. And I've seen that like in my own personal life and it like breaks the parents hearts, you know, and even when I sold my other business, which wasn't like a great business, the guy ran it into the ground and it like hurt my feelings, even though I charged him for it. And it was like, you know, I t spent a lot of time like building up the reputation of that business and it was gone like in six months. He just ran it into the ground. So anyway, this has been the Zach Hergert Idea Attic podcast uh, broadcasting across the nation, across the world. Um, share the show. Love the show. Cherish the show. What I would like you to do tomorrow night, after listening to it at work or on your commute, gather the family around the radio. Put the show on. Just do that for me. Do it for yourself. Do it for your children. Because, you know, I'm doing this for my son because I want him to come back and listen. Get this information that I have put out into the universe. So expose your own children to it. Maybe fast forward this episode like 30 seconds till after the song. <laughs> Songs for adults. Uh, if you didn't like it, turn it off. I don't. I don't need you. So, anyway, appreciate it. Share the show. I will catch you guys next week.